Hello, welcome to the Mag Life Podcast. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I am here with Brandon Bridge. You know him as Nine Banger on Instagram, and Taylor Crabtree. You know him a possible know him as Possum Puncher on Instagram. <laughs> uh, both of these guys work very heavily with Average Joe's, which uh, you remember we had uh, Jimmy on the show recently. We're big fans of what Average Joe's does, and uh, they've got a lot more going on than than just Average Joe's. Not that that's not a lot. There's plenty right there, but uh, Brent has become kind of a, a person that a lot of folks are looking up to and and uh, getting information from, and he's becoming a, a good solid voice out there on Instagram. And uh, just wanted you guys to meet him, and I wanted to meet him myself. So welcome guys. Cool. Thank you for thank you for having us. Thank you for everything like supporting Average Joe's and of course, you know, we've gotten some product from you, but uh, what you guys are doing and kind of the mindset of what you guys are doing is co-aligns with what we're doing. I know you guys are doing a lot of classes too for the newer shooter and the novice shooter. So I think it's two people in the in the same area working in the same AO that have the same mindset or yeah. mission set. So I think we're all on track on the same page. I've never understood the the at each other's throats and like Dude. competition side. We could get everybody yeah. who needs training in a class filled and double our capacity of our classes. We still wouldn't be able to train everybody in our lifetime. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that we've started or I started and the guys have supported it is one of the things I want to do with the Average Joe's page is kind of get away from like, hey, this is our training. This is how we do it. This is how everyone should do it. Only come to our classes because I think that's absolute. Absolute. Should, yes. It's, it's, it's terrible. Should not be doing that. I, I think it should be more of a sounding board. What I want to do is start taking other people's classes, like just a snippet of the of the date, the info, what it is, where it's at, and put it on it. And want to serve more of just like the average Joe's is supposed to be a community. It should also be a training community as well. So yeah. you guys' classes have popped up on them before. I, po I post other people's classes. It should be like, hey, here's the people who, from the inside of so it's like, I know these people. I know what they're doing. I know they're good people. Go to their training as well. Because yep. I, I firmly believe there's no such thing as a bad class. You either learn what to do or what not to do. Yeah. And with the exception yeah. of somebody being dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, because outside Average Joe's, we've got the Gun Mag Warehouse people. And Jimmy right now, he's with Jedi getting some filming done. Yeah, Jedi's – oh, yeah. He's, well, is he with them this weekend? Yeah, he's with, yeah, them, right he's with them this yeah. weekend. Yeah. Is Scott down here in Texas or he's somewhere else? He's at ETTS this weekend. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. I need to run out there and see him. So, Scott puts on a, a hell of a class. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I say the same thing. At every debrief of every class, um, I, I tell the students, like, look, I never want to see you on the internet because I've made a lot of internet videos, right? And talking about techniques, concepts, ideas. And I, I get a comment all the time, especially if we're talking about stoppages from old school guys talking about sports and some other stuff. This is where I see it the most. People just don't know how to do such a simple thing as, as keeping your gun running. So they go with some really old school stuff on it. And I see a comment saying something like, no, thanks. Not really for me. Uh, I'm going to do what my instructor said or, or my instructor said to do it this way. And if somebody begins a, an answer or a comment with my instructor, that go ahead and that, that tells me a lot of things. One, I'm not going to really care what you say, right? You're, I, it's, it's probably you've not been exposed to enough things to really make a decision if that's what you should be doing or not. You need to expose yourself to some more schools of thought, some more ways of thinking and some more concepts and ideas out there. And where we get that is like if they came to a class with me, they're going to get a set of priorities based on things that happened to me in my life or happened to me in training, things that happened to me in combat. And those things became priorities for things that I teach in my training. Your experience may be different than mine. And you're going to get you're going to have your priorities where you're going to hit something harder that I kind of glance over. That's not a big priority for me. So like the idea that we should listen to one instructor is just ridiculous in anything in life, especially mm. guns. You know, so uh, I would like to be one of your many instructors on your quest for expertise, you know, whatever discipline you're going for. 
Well, it's funny, it's funny you say that is a big philosophy, and it's not just in the gun world. It's just kind of like a personal philosophy is avoid absolutes. Everyone says avoid absolutes, and I, I firmly believe that. So when I was teaching with Taft out of ETTS before I joined on another uniform, one of the biggest things that I tried to bring to the group, and I still bring to the group with Average Joe's, is Taylor can probably affirm this, is in our newer classes, working with brand new shooters, our, our foundational level classes, is it's not trying to show people the way. Yeah. You actually show people multiple ways, there's, whether there's, it be presentations, draw strokes, reloads, malfunctions, target transitions, eyes leading, and then different ways of actually uh, working the trigger, be it uh, pinning the trigger, in-flight reset, or whatever it might be. I try to demo all of the different ways to achieve a certain end goal and then let the shooter through exercises figure out what they like, what they don't like to find their preferred method. So uh, it's not like a sales pitch or anything, but if you come out to the Average Joe's classes, we do try to keep it very grounded. Here's all the ways that you could do it. Here's the pros and cons of each one, and let's have some fun doing it. I think that's how people learn. Yeah. yeah you're, you're not going to hear there's a one zero that we use at Average Joe's. Like, we're going to go over the foundations of each one. Like, one of the first things we do in rifles, we set everybody mm -hmm. up to make sure they understand their zero and their holdovers and so forth. And understand ballistic theory in e depth. Exactly. And they'll, and a lot of students will ask us, which ones do we use? And we all have different answers because there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. Well, and different applicability as well. Absolutely. Yeah, you that covers zeros, you know, the way you send a slide home on an empty magazine, yes. you know, after reloading, uh, I get into that one and it was like ever. So there's people that say everybody, every time the overhand rack and I'm like, mm. well, I'm faster and the shot timer says I'm faster when I use a slide release, but then there's some guns I can't use a slide release on. Yeah. There's times when out without thinking about it, I've reverted to more of the inverted rack where I'm just using both arms to, to complete the thing a little bit faster. Uh, it's not my desired technique. It's not my favorite of all of them, Like, mm -hmm. but I don't have favorite techniques. It's just all like, about principles. It's like I don't have favorite politicians. I don't have favorite anything. I have like, what is gonna be the best thing for me to do right now? And I have, have I practiced them all at a level to where uh, subconsciously my brain can take fast path and retrieve that, the, the right variation of the technique for the given situation. Yeah. And that, you don't get that if you only have one technique. Exactly. It's all, I, and it's you actually hint on something that I like to say to all of our new shooters. It's more of the principles. Once you understand the principles and what I'm trying to achieve, and you know the multiple ways of doing it, now whether I'm standing on a flat range, now whether I'm side prone under a car or I'm behind a barricade or in a confined position, as long as I understand the principles of what I'm trying to do, yep. and I understand the multiple different methods of doing it, I can figure out in that situation, the old at TC, you know, blanket mm -hmm. answer. As long as I know the principles I'm trying to do in that situation, I can try to achieve the best outcome through multiple different ways of knowing how to do something. Uh, we were at, uh, I had the honor of coming on as one of the guest instructors at RX Range Day last weekend. And though my block of instruction, of course, had to be very short, um, one of, I never really intended to go in depth into rifle and or pistol malfunctions. Lo and behold, I, I, I don't try to put that a whole lot in there unless it's a, a very specific group that needs to learn it. Lo and behold, we had a, uh, a bolt override naturally <laughs> on, 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 the, on the course of fire. And the shooter goes down, uh, buttstock still, uh, still extended all the way and goes straight into about to just monkey mortar. I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, cool. Let's go and cease fire for a second. Hold what you got. This is a perfect learning method. And they was he getting all spastic? Because they do that a, li a little right. bit, and it, I they're excited it, too. I caught it right before, <laughs> right before the buttstock hits the ground, and of course, with an extended buttstock, right before the buffer tube collapses like yeah. the Titanic. 
uh, I caught it. I was like, hey, let's talk about this. And we went into an in-depth thing. And I, I asked him, I was like, because I wanted to do a learning point in front of the group. What were you about to do? And he goes, well, I had a I had a failure to extract and I was about to mortar that out. And then I was going to, you know, gas it back up once it's clear. I said, okay, well, look at this. There's no way that mortaring this would have done anything other than further wedge my internals into the rear and get that brass even more stuck. So had I done this, this is the proper way to do it. So I don't bend the buffer tube, you know, bend the buffer tube, whatnot. And then we went into, okay, what is this recognizing it's a brass over bolt or bolt override. And then we went into the multiple different ways to clear the brass hole. I started with, you know, let's get a piece, let's get a round out and try to wedge this back. Let's get a Gerber out or a multi-tool try yeah. to wedge this back. And I was like, what happens if we just reach up in there and separate the two pieces that are you know, wedged together? And I think two or three people asked me to do it multiple times. Four or five people whipped out a cell phone because they had never seen this before. It just, I do this um, in every one of my carving classes on day one, um, usually right before lunch, I work through stoppages. We don't mm. really prac app the stoppages like live. Yes, uh, I used to. I used to set them up one at a time and do them and learn how to do them. And now I do like adult learner time where we're talking about fair to feed, fair to fire, uh, double feeds, fair to ejects, um, some of the weird stuff that happens like charging handle impingements and uh, brass above bolt um, or God hates you, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and Unicorn. Uh, but it's there. There's nothing that can happen to this gun that can't be cleared in a matter of seconds with even one hand available uh, to a rifle. Like nothing. It's it's super simple. And I'm getting text messages. Um, <laughs> the uh, it, it, it's all it's all easy stuff if people know how to do it. But I, I've also watched tons of videos out at um, of law enforcement officers with handguns and rifles and having a problem with their rifle and then they put that gun down. And when I'm teaching law enforcement officers, I, I want to get one thing across to them: handguns absolutely suck. Rifles are much better at changing behavior than handguns are. So if I'm going to go to a fight, I would like to have a rifle with me. And I would like to not trade that rifle for a handgun. So if I can keep my rifle running, I won't have to trade it for a handgun momentarily. Um, and knowing how to clear stoppages. And you've probably seen this a thousand times too. Teams say that they've got a, uh, like, what's your SOP for for transitioning to a handgun? Oh, 50 yards and in, dog. We're going to transition to a handgun. Yeah, and then I'm like, all right, guys, 50 yards. Here we go. Let's shoot some steel targets. And they're all shooting the 15-yard line, you know, up there. And then they're missing the 50-yard the targets. And uh, I'm like, well, everybody else can transfer or transition to their rifle 50 yards and in, but you, you, and you, you're more like 12 yards and in, you know, and you're like five yards and in, like kind of thing, your contact distance, you know. So we all have to have different capabilities to, to do those kind of things. But the uh, the brass, the, the stoppage thing, I found so many people have no idea how to clear stoppages. Oh yeah, like, it's, not, it's and, not covered. And there is a bat by the book way, I guess you could say that people have kind of all agreed on as the industry standard for a double feet clearance, so a fire to feed, fire to fire. But those rules can be broken too. You know, like I, if I if I understand what you, like what you're saying, if I understand what I'm trying to achieve here, um, I can cut corners. Yes. Do I know my chamber's Absolutely. empty? I don't have to ratchet this thing three times because somebody told me to do it in a video. Like I can skip the racking part if I know that my chamber's clear because I too saw two rounds fall out. Right. Mm -hmm. Even in, in low light, uh, I don't have to use my eyes. My trigger's going to tell me a lot of things. So there's a there's a lot of ways to cut corners and and people don't realize it. And then we usually pull out a little stick and call some stoppages yeah, so they yeah. get some in the in play. The yeah. yeah, it's always a good time. <laughs> I think it's very important because you know a lot of people. It's it's cool to know what you're doing, and it's and so that makes it not cool to not know what you're doing. So like at the same time, a lot of students won't ask questions like that if they don't yeah. know a lot of people are about thinking. malfunctions. Like they're not going to open and be like, "Hey, I don't know how to do that" because they don't want to feel stu stupid in front Dude, of. Dude, there's a student. lot of instructors out there who who cannot talk smart like Brandon was just talking about clearing a brass bolt. 
they do not know how to do it properly. They don't understand that I can use two fingers and pull that bolt back because I'm just separating, like what you said, separating the, the bolt carrier from the charging handle. All I do is create space, dump it out. Yeah. Right or charging handle back, bolt catch forward, separating the two is all we're doing. There's like five different ways to separate the two. There's a lot of instructors out there who have no idea how to clear that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it necessarily has to be on the. It's kind of it's it's not necessarily on the instructor. I think it's always comes back to the same thing. There are those that can talk. There are those that can teach. There's those that can shoot. Yeah. Finding the person that has a really well balance between all threes, so they bring all three onto the range because you can have the greatest shooter, and I've seen you've seen it. Oh, I've yeah. seen it. You've seen it. Anyone who's taken a class has either found the instructor that uh, can really shoot. They shoot lights out. No, they can run a gun, mm -hmm. but they're a complete asshole. Yeah. And you can find the guys that are really nice. Like, this guy is great. I'm going to invite him to Christmas dinner. I love him. He's he's a saint, but he can't shoot. Yeah. And you got to find those guys. I know the other side of that, too. I could, a couple people come to mind that are just, like, phenomenal shooters, phenomenal experienced tactical thinkers, but they just struggle at, at transferring the wealth of knowledge that's in their head. Yes. But they want to, and they mean well, but they just struggle with that. And uh, it's sad part of that, too. And they find a way to get that out because they have so much information. And you know, I learn something from them every time I'm, every time I'm around them. So I'm like, I figure out how to get that that's out. That's why I find the joy in having a team, yeah. you know, because uh, it's, it's no secret. Uh, I tell these guys all the time. My ultimate plan was after I got into law enforcement for a little while, and a lot of guys that I work with know this plan as well. Uh, I wanted to get into law enforcement, go ahead and establish, kind of get the career under the belt and whatnot. And then I was going to go out and probably at you know the 10-year mark start uh, getting my own training business back up and running after the experience that I have uh, in one uniform to the other. And then, of course, that short stint of training in between. That's all well and good, and I was really prepped to do it. But ultimately, having this friends group that I have, because that's what it started as. Yeah. It's, it's, it wasn't just some business venture that, business venture that popped up overnight. It was truly a friends group of like this guy and a bunch of other guys that I shoot regularly with. And we got asked to kind of put on this kind of large scale range day. And then ultimately, very quickly, that turned into a bunch of brand new shooters and local shooters in the area said, hey, we would really love for you guys to teach some grounded, basic, intermediate and ground level classes. And we, were like, we all kind of looked at each other. I remember we had the, that conversation, we all kind of looked at each other and said, what does this look like and can we do it? And then lo and behold, about a year later, you oh. have this whole Average Joe's thing that popped up. And it wasn't just supported by, you know, uh, uh, random people that kind of, quote unquote, bought into it, if you will, because it's a product and people. Yeah, it. it was really kind of the support of the local community and all the people that we know as a group that really supported it. And then somehow it just caught fire and people love the classes, love the content, love the kind of the mindset behind it all. But it's training as a group. It's not just one person putting forth their kind of gospel like we're talking about i think you're 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 fixing a lot you're, or you're you're making it where some of the problems we're kind of discussing here are not going to exist in that environment multiple insights because there's so many people the schools of thought you know you, you might even have four to six instructors in a day if i understand it all correctly yeah we try to have every uh class is with at least three of us and then if any of the other guys can come in they'll help ro um, no one's voice is, we try to have no one's voice, you know, over the others or shadowed by the others. Um, you look at the range of backgrounds, it's myself and another guy work at my department. We have two other guys that work at other departments, Jimmy, who's an ex pastor and works within the firearms community. You got this guy that does his quick capture and smacking possums across the face, <laughs> but we all have kind of that shooting background born of different kind of backgrounds. We all have taken different classes from different people. We all have different experience, be it combat, law enforcement, or no real operational experience. Yeah. 
And that's what kind of, I think, the people on the range who come out to the classes in the ranges really enjoy. Because it's relatable, in a sense. Because everyone in Average Joe's relates to somebody. The diversity speaks volumes, especially at, like the range days. After we got done with our range days before our training events, we expected a certain amount of response from the community. But how, like he said earlier, it took, like, caught fire was, I mean, it amazed us all, I believe. Like, the the outreach from the community for more and more and more has just been overwhelming. Well, we've been having fun, too, with the other local instructors or the other, like uh, like I was telling you guys, how we have, like, some outside people that we know within the industry come out. So it really becomes more of a family and a party. Yeah. You know, we were going to have you guys out at our last range day. Just because we know what you guys are doing, know you cool people. We joke around back and forth on social media. And that's how some of the best friendships Absolutely. happen, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. We all work within the same AO, doing the same mission. And it just was going to kind of grow from there. I love going out and hustling and and working and, and like teaching like a tactical team or a SWAT team or just running some stuff and get them on some. And I realize like they get a lot of training and like I'm just another guy coming to teach the class and, you know, work them over, give them a lot of stuff to take back, you know, and, and all that good stuff. And all that is great, and I enjoy that. But man, I, I love brand new shooters, and and there's like there's a, a little bit of a thing in the gun world with some people like they don't they don't want to. Not everybody wants to teach a brand new shooter. Somebody who doesn't have a clue, like they don't have the patience for that. I love those light bulbs coming on. Yeah, it's I mean, the best, right? And honestly, that's the best way to serve the community. The only thing I'm good at in life that I believe that I'm good at is problem solving. Like I don't care what it is, I will figure out how to solve a problem. Like way outside of the box, be resourceful. I'm a problem solver, and that's one of my favorite things to do in the world. And that's all the brand new shooter is. I've got a really strong suspicion that I know what your major problem is going to be before you even pick the gun up. Everybody has it, and I ever got a plan to fix that. But what else are we going to run into along the way? Like that—that's a good time. And seeing the that that beginning stages where they go from zero skill to uh, significantly better the, the amount of growth that could happen in one or two days with a brand new shooter compared to you know um, somebody who's like yourself who's, who's put in a lot of work not so much you Taylor you've got a lot of room for improvement <laughs> thank you uh, thank you the uh, like yourself like you're you're you, you're looking for these small incrementals like, like maybe I'll leave now half, half a percent everything. better right you know while, while Taylor's over here getting like 50 percent better every day um, but no, that, that's awesome to see. And I, I love, that's my favorite thing. And it, it's the best. And they're also going to be the biggest advocates for you in the future and, and for whatever it is you're doing. So the average Joe's like, you guys have a lot of those, you know, and they're bringing their friends out, trying to get them into it. And there's, I get people in classes all the time that tell me that they don't have any friends to go to the range yeah, with. That's the biggest thing. I'm like, man, just go take a class one time. You're yeah. going to have friends or even shoot in a competition. I think everyone at the big range days finds people that they have in their area. You guys organize them by zip codes or something, yes, right? Yes, we do. See yeah. me organize. So you'll be in a group. If you come to an average Joe's range day, not the classes, but the range day, you're going to be organized in a group where it's people that are closest to you. And he'll have, you know, people from one area of the country, one people that, I mean, the majority is a lot of local shooters, it but is. we do have a lot of people come out. We have some, surprising a lot, like a lot of big areas from San Antonio and Houston. And what we want to do is like, it's, put them all together. It's part of our mission statement. We want to build communities. Mm -hmm. like, like people want average Joe's where they go. And that's what we want for everyone. And the biggest thing we see, not only to the personal pages, but to the average Joe's pages, when do you got, when are you guys coming out to our area? I said, we're already in, bro. This is not, this is not like a, I mean, though we have the paperwork and we are doing local classes in our area, this is not some like thing that only exists within our ecosystem. Yeah. It should be within the entire country. Go out and kind of look at the stuff we're doing, take it as kind of a game plan. Cause we put all of our exercises out there and our mindset behind them and how we train, whatnot, make the videos and whatnot. But we try to also push that kind of grounded mindset. Go out with your buddies and have your own adversaries. Yeah. I mean, don't use our, that's, 
trademark, don't use our own, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Go out and have your own average dose range day where it's you guys coming up with exercises and having fun and pushing each other and learning, honestly. Like people don't, it's weird to me that people don't have that. Yeah. I. There's a lot of indoor ranges out there that don't really have the capacity to do a large amount of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even know where I was going with this. I will say we are blessed. We do have a lot of outdoor ranges ranges. and a lot of indoor ranges around here. Yeah. It's a business booming in that world. There's a lot of places to do that. And there's some places around here. Like um, I haven't been to um, all of them around here, but TDSA, like the big tire range down South. And Lynn's got like 50 bays down there, 60 or something ridiculous. Some mosquitoes that you'll smack and they'll just look at you. Oh yeah, they're wearing armor. It's like like Iraqi flies, you know, you just, you just hit them and they just fly away and give you a dirty look. We had for the longest time, the crown jewel of the the United States was Triple C. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. I lost that one. Yeah. Fantastic facility. ETTS is a fantastic facility as well. And they've, they've come over because I've been shooting at ETTS since uh, 2014 after I got out and they've made strides with their land development. I remember it was like four tack bays and maybe eight pistol bays. Yeah. And now and it's yeah, long range is a double another long range area. And then I don't even know how many tack bays now, like, like 10 or 11 like eight, eight tack bays. is it eight tack bays, yeah. four Good private facility. member bays yeah. and like 10 pistol bays. I mean, it's a massive endeavor. What, when's the next one you guys are going to do? Uh, average shows, you know, so we have we're we've been releasing it. You guys' pistol classes this weekend on the twenty sixth, right? Twenty sixth and twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's at Quail Creek. That's when our handgun class is, yeah. Yeah. So we've got Joe's calendar. So we have on um, the twenty sixth this weekend we have our applied pistol class and the sixteenth of April we have our foundational rifle and then our next big range day, which people have been asking. This is a little insider information because we haven't dropped this date yet. You heard it here first. Uh, first. May 28th is uh, 99% sure. 90, May 28th is going to be our next big range day. And we're going to release, you know, I'm getting away from the whole hype stuff. Like we don't want to like, you know, release one day at a time. So we started releasing quarters at a time because it's more yeah, yeah. community, you know. Yeah, people can plan too, especially if you got people coming from all over. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to be able to. We're trying to put out the dates a lot. But yeah, May 28th will be the next big range day. And I'll, I'll keep you guys spun up on that so we can get you out to the next one. Brandon, I'm, I'm curious, um, different direction, different topic altogether. Bring it. Let's go. But how did you, uh, I understand that you were, um, joined the Army, you were a Ranger, and actually in a Ranger Battalion, and then got out and started working in the gun world. Like, how did you, what landed you here in, in Texas, but also, you know, becoming a, a law enforcement officer and then also getting involved in your community and helping regular armed citizens become a little bit more well-regulated, even as a law enforcement officer. It's a bit uncommon. Is God's what plan. Yeah. God's plan. Uh, so I will say that there were a lot of instances where it was a lot of luck, but ultimately someone had a plan for kind of how things were going to go. So I had uh, ooh, this is like in depth, like a real podcast. Get to know me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going in depth, I had a, make you cry. A, a normal, like, normal childhood, like nothing, nothing crazy there. Um, went to college, decided it wasn't for me. I graduated high school in 06, went to college 07, 08. And in 08, I was frustrated. I hated college. Like I was typical, typical party kids, drinking, smoking a lot of weed. You know, I never would have been able to go to college right out of high school, man. Just no a typical, co- just typical college life. It was, it was, you know, normal college life where not a whole lot was getting done. And I was ultimately frustrated with it. Like, there's no purpose there. I was hanging out with the wrong people. There's no purpose there. And uh, I had a buddy who went to regiment. 
a couple of years before me and he had always told me what it was what it was like and kind of what the deployment cycles and train cycles were like i was like man that sounds really cool i'm gonna go jump out of helicopters i'm gonna go overseas i gave college the old college try uh for mom ultimately I, I i hated college i couldn't stand it i was bored i was unchallenged and i wanted to go into an environment i wanted to go into a bigger pond yeah you always strive for like a bigger pond because if you get comfortable and complacent life sucks and life sucked for me so we're going to home depot and one night kind of this it's a, it's a weird cliche story one night i was frustrated I, was, I hated it i hated life i was having a bad day at work and uh, I was closing down at a Home Depot of all places, closing my store up. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And this recruiter comes through and he's got like these super high and tight, brand new Rook dudes. They're wearing like their PT outfit and everything. And uh, he doesn't say anything to me. He just comes over to me. He's in uniform and he comes over to me. He goes, having a bad night? I was like, yeah, shit night. I hate it. He slipped me his card and was like, just call me. Hmm. I was like, okay, that's a great sales pitch. Yeah, call me. good timing. So I was like, I just got picked up at a bar. <laughs> so, uh, uh, about a week later, I'm, I'm in the office, and I think three or three weeks later, I was I was off. I knew what I wanted to do. I walked in and said, "Hey, I, I'm gonna take the ASVAB, but I know I want the Option 40 contract." So I went as a Baby Ranger. I left in December of '08, and by the first uh, quarter of uh, 2009, I was in Third Ranger Bat. Nice. So I went in in early, late '08, early '09. I went straight to the line platoons uh, with Third Ranger Bat. Um, I did just over six years. I did five deployments in um did all the cool guy stuff my first three deployments i was on the line platoons uh, going forward come back train cycle going forward come back train cycle soaked up a lot of really cool schools um and then after my third deployment uh, my platoon sergeant was leaving and he said hey i want you to come over to the recce sections with me I, was like, I have no idea what that's all about but yeah sure let's do it you know again bigger pond always looking for always looking for a bigger pond a more specific skill set with everything yeah very applicable to the law enforcement world mm -hmm. you can go become a police officer and you're going to do your time on patrol but ultimately what do you want to do you want to keep pushing for that that smaller and smaller group so i said yeah sure let's do it went and took the tryout made the tryout and my last two deployments were spent on third ranger battalions uh recce teams doing some pretty cool stuff nice went to a lot, went to a lot of cool school that recce stuff so hot right now recce stuff is so hot right now really cool stuff um blessed to have served with the guys that i did and do the stuff that i did because sometimes i look back and i'm like yeah how am i still here dude i i i could I, yeah i think the same thing man how did i not get in trouble and kicked out how did i not this how am i still alive right yeah Oh, it's a lot of people. I read read some of the old documents, the, the ARs and the commendations, and I'm like, man, that stuff really did happen. Yeah, so. It's crazy looking back. You know, I was I was telling somebody this recently. I think it might have been Haley over there. Um, people, since I got out and I started teaching a lot of armed citizens, it was weird to me how appreciative they are of military service. You know, like the things that they do or the things that they say and how they express it, you know, and I'm not talking about the awkward, like, thank you for your service, you know, but I'm like, hey, you're welcome. You know, it's a pleasure. And, uh, but just the way they, they really hold it in what, what you did in service in, in a higher reverence or regard than, than I ever held anything that I did, you know, and then it, it took me a while to transition and realize that. And I'd say within the last couple of years, just thinking about it a lot, the things that I did, the things that I did that risked my life really for uh, as Tim Brown said, because I was too embarrassed not to, you know, because of the people around me and yeah, the standards time, we had to yeah. uphold and everything else. And, and then being a leader of Marines and being held, being held to a higher standard and how that motivated me. 
And it's like, it was like, I wasn't doing these things. You know, it was like, that was just, it was part of the, the programming. It was normal life. Yeah, it was the way it is. And we, were, never, we were desensitized to it. It took me a long time to, to realize like exactly what we did yeah. and and how, and the magnitude of it. I don't even know if I still truly get it, but I think these citizens who, who didn't do it, that look at that, even though they have a completely different perspective and some people, some veterans would say, oh, they'll never get it. They don't understand. Man, I think sometimes I don't get it, but they get it better than me because because I, it was like you said, like it was like everyday life mm -hmm. and just kind of gloss over it. But I hear them like, man, and now that I'm older and I'm thinking about it, you know, I'm about to turn 42 in a month. Um, I'm like, man, that was, that was significant, right? And I could have not been here. There's a lot of things that people that wouldn't have been born, a lot of things that would have happened if, if that didn't work out the way it did. And there was a thousand other options for it to work out a different way. So I get it, man. It's really weird looking back on that. I think it's funny looking back on it is the people who are most appreciative of it were the people that aren't in the United States, but the people actually in those countries. Yeah. Especially for a large part. I mean, look at everything. I think people can really look at the news because when you and I were in between, you know, the 08 to the 14 area, you think about Facebook and Instagram and social media largely as it exists mm -hmm. wasn't as prevalent in like the obviously for the dudes that came before us from the initial invasion all the way up to about none of us had cameras we, we had disposable cameras in 2003 oh, in dude, the initial I, invasion i hardly have any photos for my first and second yeah video, you know because also i don't know if it's the same for you but i grew up in an environment where it was hey total opsec stop taking photos yeah. no one's taking photos it wasn't if, like it is now with gopros and stuff oh and dude, nobody yeah. had a cell phone yeah was not allowed yeah yeah yeah. it's the same thing in law enforcement a lot of, a lot of SWAT teams don't want to take a whole lot of photos but you know ultimately what do you what do you have to look back on if if at the end of your career you don't have anything to look back on like i wish i had more photos from I my got some first cool second. pieces of paper i got some cool pieces of paper i do have some cool photos but it's nothing it's nothing like nowadays you see guys posting really badass videos of them like actually in tips i tell people that all what? the time you know like if if i could have changed one thing i would not have changed my path i i would have not have done anything i would had to do all over again the only thing i would have done differently is that i had a camera with me more to a take more video and photos. Yeah. Um, I would spend any amount of money on that. I would also probably drop some money in Yahoo, Google, Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah. Amazon, some other stuff. If Facebook I could talk when to myself. I was first starting exactly. But I definitely would have yeah. taken more pictures, you know, and I, I would have enjoyed some moments a bit better, you know, that, that, that you don't realize at the time they're never coming again, man. And it's, it's miserable, but it's awesome at the same time. For real. Yeah. yeah. But no, I got, I got, and it's kind of funny. Like we, I, you and I both got out, you got in 13. Mm -hmm. We both got out. I got out in May of 14. So we both got out right at the kind of the boom and the influx of social media. Yeah. So kind of continuing the story and how this all started and how we ultimately ended up where we are today on, on my personal end, because uh, you were asking, I got out in 14 and uh, God's grace, stupidly, I was I was dating a, a girl out here. I mean, I'm not saying stupidly. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but it did not work out. I chased something that, that, that shouldn't have happened, but it brought me to an area that had opportunities mm -hmm. that otherwise I would never have been exposed to. So I chased something that ultimately God knew wasn't going to work out, came to an area where things did work out. Um, after a, a short stint, I, like three months of living in Texas, I, I, I just started a brand new job. I started over at uh, Stanwood Armory. I went out, I was shooting pistol matches. And one of the guys at the pistol matches, they knew I was looking for work. A buddy of mine said, are you still looking for work? I was like, yeah, dude, I can't find anything. Dude, I was getting turned down. All I wanted to do is go back to school after the military and work at a gun shop. Because so what I figured all was good. Right? I just need some type of extra extra paycheck. And I wanted to work with the arms community. 
and I was getting turned down left and right. Name the big indoor range in the DFW area. I applied to it. Yeah. And I got turned down at every one of them. Oh no, the the boss's cousin or the boss's son or whatever is coming back from college and needs a job. I yeah, or they probably thought like, oh, he's gonna be too hard charging in here. Yeah, I got yeah. turned down left and right. I couldn't find anything. I don't, and this is kind of the advice I'm sure you can give the same to anybody who's getting out of the military is, is to have a plan. And you can do anything. Like a concrete plan. You can do anything you set your mind to, just please have a plan. Yeah. You cannot come into this new AO, you cannot come into this new mission set without an actual plan. It will bite you. But I, I didn't have much of a plan. I got out. I moved into the area. I didn't have a plan. And I think one of the guys one of the guys I was shooting with, he was like, you should go check out this uh, this ammunition company, Stanwood Armory, that's uh, just started up. And they had no social media presence, barely any. Like, I think the owner, like, created a Facebook. Um, and the sale, the sales were decent, you know, like a, a couple a week. Nothing, nothing crazy. Like, they were known in the local industry, but not on a national hmm. level. I walked in there, had my, you know, my I love me book, you know, with the stack of like, you know, classes and courses I've yeah. been to in the military, all my deployments and everything. He looked at it and was like, I have no idea what this is, but do you know how to shoot a gun? I was like, yeah, shot a gun a couple times. Got on with uh, this budding ammunition company, Stanwood Armory. And from there, it kind of, as far as the story of meeting these guys and kind of within mm. the industry kind of took off uh, after a failed relationship, I was living in a Nissan Xterra for about three or four weeks in the front parking lot of Stanwood Armory. Nothing uh, wrong with that. The owner was like, why don't you just live here? So for a good five, six month period, I was living in a hammock in the back. That's room. awesome. Couldn't get rid of that recce life. Couldn't get rid of the recce life. <laughs> so I set up, set up a hammock next to a, next to an air compressor that went off every 30 minutes. It was great. And uh, that sounds that. pretty crappy. The hammock part, not so much. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, with doing that, it just one kind of pawn leads to the next. I was working at the ammunition company, uh, doing all that, handling all their social media. Got tied into ETTS where we started doing range days and everything. Met a couple other vets who wanted to create a little training company out of ETTS, and they brought me on, and we started teaching classes out there together, ultimately started doing all of our social media and a lot of the uh, class organization and teaching probably 75 to 80 to 90 percent of that type of stuff um, for them when another guy left. So it was just just me and another guy teaching for a quite long period of time, but about a year and a half was the whole Taft reign over there. Ultimately, like you said, I'm kind of looking for the next challenge. What's the next challenge? And like you said, you were looking for a purpose when you got out. What is the purpose? And dude, I can tell you this from experience. And I've told this to these guys that I work with on the average Joe's like training is great. Like I love shooting. I love going out to the range and I love training, but ultimately what am I training for? And for me coming from a team environment, coming from the team's environment where I rely heavily on that dude, I have uh, different operational capacities that we work and I'm going out on targets. I'm going out on missions. I go to the gym and I go to the range for game day. Ultimately, I missed game day. Like I had no game days. It was yeah. just going to the range, putting holes in paper. It was slinging ammo at same Game day's coming. Like I'm trying to figure out where the game day is. Like what am I ultimately training for? It's great to keep regurgitating all these stories and great, great to keep regurgitating all of this information and teaching some shooters here. But ultimately, where's my growth? I wasn't, I wasn't going to as many classes. I wasn't yeah. you know, going to as many training events prepping for quote unquote game day. And I miss the team environment. I miss the ready room. I miss the uniform. Yep. I miss the comm checks. I miss the, I miss the, you know, the team aspect. The no rules ribbing of each other, everything. Yeah. I missed all of that. 
So um, one of the guys I was shooting with pretty heavy who now works on my team with me, he was lateraling from one department to the other, to the department that he and I now work at now. And uh, he was like, why don't you come try out at this department? JT, if you're listening to this, you are the saving grace to this because I remember when I signed up for the test and he's texting me because like, I'm, I'm not even awake. I'm not even awake the day of the test. He's like, where are you? Where are you? And eventually he gets me to come out to the test the day of, I take the test and uh, fast forward five and a half years. And now I am working with him and he and I are almost blood brothers and we work together within the full-time SWAT team of our department. That's awesome. Having those game days. And it's not just a, it's not just a range day. It's not just a training day. It's, it's again, training for game day, which we have quite a lot of those. Also, they are doppelgangers. Like, if you don't know <laughs> JT and Brandon separately, they get mixed up. Well, everyone thinks it's Brandon. And it is my favorite thing in public when someone walks up to JT and be like, nine banger? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, good people, and it's good to be back in an operational environment with people that will hold you to a standard and kick your ass if you don't need it. You know, I... I've only only know a few people in the area in law enforcement and on local tactical teams, but of those people, this area's got some pretty solid uh, SWAT guys and uh, that yeah very switched on, very and you know fit good thinkers uh, and good shooters. You know, it's one thing to be a good shooter, but to be a good shooter and a good thinker at the same time, and like that's a that's the kind of person I want to if my kids in trouble, you know, or, or even does something stupid and gets pulled over like that. Those kind of, those kind of people, that's what I want. And I, that's all I've met around here so far. You know, I'm sure we have our bad ones, but I don't think people realize the kind of how deep the pools go. Like you have your military operational capacity, then you have, that's all your OCONUS ROE and what you're doing, what you're training for over there, how you do structure clearance, how you do your, your whatever you do overseas. The other world is everything stateside CONUS, under our penal codes, under the, yeah. the color of the law. What we do as SWAT officers is a hundred thousand times different. Like it cannot, I cannot overstate how different the two worlds are. And going from one world to the other world was for a little while there quite challenging and still is challenging today. I'm still finding those nuances of slowing things down, doing things a little yeah. more surgically, how, and then of course the tactics within structure clearance are completely night and day different. Yep. Like people don't give SWAT officers enough credit to how stringent they have to train, like what, what level they have to train to, because it's one thing to have an oopsie overseas. It's a completely different thing to have an oopsie Absolutely. here, here in the States. It's mind blowing. I, I think there's, um, that's there's another thing no, with, when you get no your, room for error. Yeah, your your veterans who get out of the military and you know combat veterans, even depending on what kind of teams they're on, everything else. I I know I, I always see um, a transition. Uh, I was lucky to have started this podcast about four years or five years before I got out. Um, so I had people kind of helping me with that transition along the way. Uh, listeners hold me to a high standard of being correct for in a lot of ways. But uh, I, I've seen a lot of friends of mine that I've tried to help mentor them that they get out and start teaching, whether just small locally or, or some of them doing really well, you know, nationally traveling around and making the transition and transition and transition from, you know, military operations in an urban environment or uh, some super high speed SF stuff or force recon, whatever you're doing. But then you're now you're talking about 2 a.m. at the gas pumps with an armed citizen and the kids in the backseat of the car. Yes. Or in, in 
home self-defense type situation, somebody breaking in or whatever. Like these, there's, there's nothing that I did in combat other than some psychological and maybe some slight physiological effects that I can speak to that some people can't and, and you can too as well, obviously. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot from my military experience that, that is in my handgun class, yeah. right? Because it just, it doesn't apply. Does not apply the the team-based combat, pre-planned, executing an order, uh, it's very different than than what we're talking about when most defensive shootings occur. So there's a there's a big transition. I don't have a tactical class in for handgun in that that type thing. I do just basically self defense, um, and the, but that's where I got a lot of my priorities from for the rifle stuff too because I do find that a lot of that translates over to the patrol officer with the right that's carrying a rifle um, and the tactical officer that's carrying a rifle because the in the fight stuff doesn't really change uh, the standards. I can't say that my standards are higher than they were in the Marine Corps because we had pretty high shooting standards there too. Um, but the standards got to be high, man, when you're, you're going into an apartment building and there's one bad guy in there and 20 other not bad guys, unknowns. Mm -hmm. Like the, the it, it, And I tell people, if you've never taken a shoot house class, just you and your buddy, not any other complexities, maybe there's a piece of furniture in there. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to break you off mentally and physically just going through a shoot house, clearing a structure, identifying shoot no shoot targets clearing around that thing while not exposing yourself to that other danger area just the the stuff that that we don't think about in the military where you're flooding the room with a lot of people or whatever technique you're using now with SWAT guys uh the way we have to do things to be safe for myself something I say a lot is I need to save for myself safe for everybody else around me but with respect to lethality to the bad guy. Like I, you're sure gun in my holster is the greatest place for me to be when I'm running and doing everything else. But if there's a, if I run around the corner, there's a gun point in my face, my gun in my holster is not a great place for it anymore. So there's a, there's a balance in there uh, and figuring that stuff out. But you guys, um, I, I can't think either the SWAT guys and regular patrol officers, whatever you're doing, the idea right now, as much as you're hated in this country, um, it's still getting up and, putting that belt on and going to work every day. Uh, it is, it's freaking dedication. And uh, uh, I'm fortunate to know a lot of really good officers. I've been teaching for like seven years up at uh, the Ohio Technical Officers Association mm -hmm. Conference and uh, a lot of really switched on people that I've learned tons from over the years. And these are good people, man. They're like, they're, they're, they're and it, it bothers me a lot when people are, are down in officers because um, they don't know, they don't know them like I know them. Yeah. Now, I also know that some that, that they're absolutely right about, that they're they're absolutely wrong for this country, for freedom, for our liberty, for the way we, we do things, the way uh, American values. Um, but that's not most. Right? Oh, no. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, with any, with any organization, you're going to have your bad apples. But I would say large in part, I don't think that law enforcement officers get the credit that they have because totally there agree. are millions of them and you have the one or two. That's the biggest thing with social media and the media is, of course, that one bad experience is going to have yeah. profound impacts throughout the community and make all of them look bad. You hit the nail on the head when you say people, I think the average patrol officer is not appreciated enough. Because there's no other job where people are slaving day in and day out for 12 to 14 hours a day. Because I know my 12-hour shifters quite well. I was there with you for a little while. That mundanity, and you're waiting for game day, and you're having to go from, like, one traffic accident to the next, and you're just slaving away, and you don't... If you're a patrol officer and you're listening, you don't know if it's worth it. Trust me, your job is worth it. Your game day will eventually come... And cannot stop training for that yep. game day. Keep the head on the swivel and stay switched in.
and don't give up. The media doesn't hate you. America doesn't hate you. Just stay switched on because it's 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 coming. It cycles. It's all it is. It just comes in cycles. Yeah, Whenever somebody's trying to get across a, a message or, or a new policy or whatever, and they're dealing with the worst the people on their worst day all day. Yes. Every, and that's going to wear you out no matter what you do. So don't get complacent. Stay, stay, stay focused. Stay focused on the positive contacts. Because if you get so hung up on all of your negative con uh, contacts, it's going to grind you down. But just stay focused on that. Wow, I really did do that. Wow, I really did, you know, pull that person out of a burning car. Wow, I really did pull that little girl off of a bridge who was about to jump. Think about all those positive contacts that you had and don't let those kind of fade away into obscurity with the hundreds of people who are going to yell at you because you're not doing your accident report correctly and not their favorite. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, don't get don't get discouraged by that. Stay switched on because you are needed. Hey, if you're heroic, uh, good guy maneuver, whether you're a law enforcement officer, maybe even America's second responders, whatever, and you know they don't like to report on the good stuff, I will run it on, on the Gum Mag Warehouse blog. We'll report on it. Just send that stuff to us. We'll, we'll put it out there. I love good stuff, positive stuff. Be more of that. Wish we had more positivity in this world. I agree. <laughs> totally agree. It's a magical thing. The, it's uh, contagious, and we need more of it. Let me... So... I don't. I don't run into a lot of uh, combat veterans that um, that are as hippie as I am, right? Because I, I'm a little little hippie on the positivity thing. A little. Oh, I left my I left my stones and crystals in the car. No stones and crystals. You, to, you do smell a little like patchouli oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got that I actually. Oil. I was like showered in three weeks. Yeah, on okay. the way here. Yeah, nice. But I say no. That's that's X. We're X. Oh God, that's even worse. Um, but man, I there's a. I was telling a friend the other day, like we were talking about Ukraine and some other stuff and some other things that uh, just in pop culture and, and everything. I was like, man, when did I become a hippie? Like I'm, I'm the ones like when I was a kid, we looked at the people from the sixties and the seventies as like the hippies. And like, I've, I've kind of become that way. Right. I'm still totally cool with, you know, when violence is warranted, turn it to 11. Right. But uh, at the same time, like I'm cool with just being nice to everybody and friendly and, and just, promoting this idea of, of positivity and togetherness and, and everything else. And sometimes people look at me crazy, but you know, you're talking about the strength of, of positivity right here. Tulam, he was on the podcast recently. He's also a, a thinker like that. Um, and I, I find the ones that the, the veterans who, with myself, maybe the exception, that have that kind of mindset of finding the positives in everything and uh, even cognitively choosing not to respond negatively to things that maybe if I didn't cognitively decide not to respond negatively, I would, if that makes sense. Kind of what Viktor Frankl talks about with uh, that space where you can choose your reaction. Um, they're always more successful, more calm, more down to earth, more like more chill, not, not maybe they, they deal with some depression and some PTSD and some things like that, but it doesn't take over their life. I think it's because they have that hope and, you know, you may be spirituality, uh, your, your positive mindset, um, you know, despite some things that you've been involved in and seen in your life, but uh, you're you're choosing the positive path when it'd be so easy and you would have every excuse to choose the negative path. Does that make sense? I've chosen the negative path quite a few times in my life, too. but I don't think that anyone at this table can say that the negative path was the great path. No, right. definitely not. Um, right. Focus on the positives. Focus on what's next. Stop focusing on everything that's, that has happened. Uh, kind of everything we've talked about is like, figure out what the way forward is and stop worrying about the bad stuff. Find a reason to live, to do it. Yeah. Find a reason to, uh, uh, I say something in my problem solver class, I'm like there's always a way to fight. You got to find it. 
you can take a break when it gets dark. Right? Like there's always a, your your gun goes down, your arm's broken, whatever happens. Like there is always a way to fight. It might be the most awkward shooting position ever. Uh, whatever, find a way to get hits. And I think in life that same uh, mentality works too. I'm like I, I want to achieve this. If you really want to achieve this, there may be a lot of work ahead of you to be able to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. But every day that you don't take a step in that direction is one more day until you're going to be able to achieve that thing. You know, so it's all about doing. There's post-it notes I keep in my vehicles and on top of my mirror at home. And it just simple message. And it helps me every day I listen to it. I move forward and further in my life. And it just says, do better. Yeah. And just do it better is what it says in my work vehicles. Cause I'll get in the, I'll get in the truck. I've had a bad day. Do it better. It's, it's simple. It's easy, but it's, it's maybe not what you want to hear at the time, but when I'm having a great day, everything's going right. I just made a, a great sell for the company. My guys are doing awesome. And then I sit there and I see, do, do better. it better. And I'm like, and it's just, it's, it, I don't know, man, it's, it's how I like to live. And it's, uh, it helps me move forward in everything I do. And every time I, I just shut up and listen to myself and just do it better. Cause you can every day. I mean, the, the, the jumps in my life have been enormous, especially being around guys like this. What does my range box say every time I open it up? Oh, suck less. No, don't suck. Don't suck. My <laughs> <Yeah>. bad. <laughs> my bad. Don't suck. That's my motto in life. That's the thing about standards, though. You know, it's like uh, if you hang out with a group of people who have low standards for whatever it is they're doing, life, shooting, anything else, you're going to adopt low standards. If you hang out with people that have high standards and hold you to a high standard and you hold them to a high standards, everybody's going to grow to meet that higher standard and hopefully exceed it and set a new standard. You know, it's like, uh, that's another thing is a team togetherness. Like we totally, what is it together? We achieve more or whatever team stands for the acronym, but man, it's a, uh, it's a real thing. You know, since the dawn of humanity, we've not done a very good job as individuals, but when we form up in tribes and get together, like we can survive, we can overcome a lot of stuff. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining me. Uh, Taylor, thank you for hanging out, for saying a few words and moral support. And it's always great to see you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. He's actually my, my security for today. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, guys. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming by. And uh, thanks for helping you know, promote what we do here at Gun Mag. We're just trying to be good stewards of the Second Amendment and um, maintain the Second Amendment and help out other cool people that we make friends with along the way. Uh, speaking of friends, guys, we'll see you next time you tune in to the Mag Life. And until then, the Mag Life out.